It's really strange how the Lord does work in our lives. Um, this sermon was kind of prepared about six months ago or so. It was a series of sermons I mentioned to you that I was involved with since that Sabbath school lesson that we had about the, uh, the big four. And since then, uh, this is number three that we'll be looking at today. But from this point of view, it's amazing how the Lord works because uh, we thought we had everything together and we were happy that we had a new pastor and a wife, wonderful wife, pianist, and everything else. And then uh, just last Sabbath, they gave us an announcement that shocked most of us, made our mouth open up and said, what happened? Well, the pastor said that he had another calling already, and he's on his way to Texas. He will be back probably, I think, in the next three weeks he's still around. But after his last service here, he's going to have baptisms. And after that, him and his wife are headed out to Texas. And again, our church sits without a pastor. And the sermon today is about an active and committed group of uh, congregational folks. So an active and group of laity folks. So in a way, it's amazing how the Lord does work. And I do have some PowerPoints here. Let me see if we got them up. I wanted to review what we had covered last week first. Or not last week, but the last time I was up here. And that we were talking about prayer. As you can see, uh, when we have a praying church, things happen because God's involved. But when we don't have a praying church, things don't happen so well as we'd like to see them happen. When we have a praying church, we have a wonderful worship service. We have a marvelous ministry, we have effective evangelism, and we have a super Sabbath school. And that's all granted to prayer power. We have all these in place, but the blessing comes when we let God work through us through faithful prayer as members of his elite family. So today, we're looking at the third big four, a committed and active laity. So a committed and active laity involves many folks and includes all of us here today. And I will be using quotes from this book, The Big Four. We do have it in our library if you want to check it out. And uh, as we go along here, we should be fine in understanding what this message is going to be about. What makes a difference in the lives of others who have not known Jesus or the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What's the difference? What makes a difference? What makes a difference for those who belong to the congregation, but they feel that they really don't belong to the congregation? What's up with that? What about those who attend church only twice a year? And usually we think about Easter and Christmas. What's their beef, as some may say? What's up with that? How can they only attend two times a year? I hope that today's message will shine some light on these questions. And what do the words committed and active laity mean? I'm trying to get my screen to work here. It's not working for me, but let's see what's up.
The word committed means to, I looked it up in the dictionary, to perform or to put trust in charge of something or to entrust somebody with something. What about the word active? Active, we think of, it means to carry out an action or a process, moving about, working, and doing something other than resting or sleeping. The word laity actually means the followers of a religion who are not clergy. It doesn't mean taking a nap on Sabbath afternoon. Some people call that lay activities, but that's not the proper term for that. So a committed and active laity is a group of followers who are not clergy, who come together in a trusting relationship to fulfill some action or process. That's the definition of a committed and active laity. But we have a missing ingredient. I think we've all felt that missing ingredient many times. We even question it today. Where's the enthusiasm? Why aren't we excited about this message? What's the problem? Well, the book of Revelation kind of gives us a little bit of insight on that. If you want to open up the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And once I read this, you'll probably understand exactly what I'm talking about here. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with this passage today. But I know the New Beginnings class touched on this today in their class because it was in their quarterly for this week. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Jesus is speaking here. He says, he's talking to the seven churches. I know thy works, but thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Now, like I said, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about these solutions that God has for this church, but that's the main reason that our enthusiasm is so low, because we're in a lukewarm phase. We're in the last day church, and this is the lukewarm church. Not just this congregation, but the worldwide church of believers. Not necessarily our denomination, but the denomination as a whole. Those who believe in Jesus Christ and follow him and accept him. It's a worldwide problem. And it's the last day church. And we're in this church. So enthusiastic evangelism is built and not made. You can't have enthusiasm. Oh, I'm excited now. And just pretend like you're excited. It's something that takes time to get built up. How can we create enthusiasm? We're going to look at that today. With some of our slides, I hope it will make it quite clear. And uh, like I said, this book, The Big Four, really helped me through this series. It's not something that I've 
you know, put together myself. I got a lot of it from S. Joseph Kidder. Actually, the elders' retreat is this weekend, and S. Kidder is there this weekend, teaching or preaching. I'm sure he's covering some of this book or all of this book in this weekend's retreat for the elders. And uh, maybe that's why some of our elders are not here today, because they're at that retreat. But anyways, it's very good information and good guidance, and I'm also bringing the Bible in as we look at some of these things. So the third big four we're going to look at today is a committed and active laity. We looked at enthusiasm. Why is it they're not as enthusiasm as should be? Because... Of these reasons, there are seven factors that create enthusiasm. One is experiencing the gospel. Two, buying into a cause. Three, love and acceptance. Four, warm and joyous climate. Five, God exalting worship. Six, meaningful ministries. And seven, a sense of excellence. So look at a couple of these today. From this book, I'm going to quote you a few things. The experience of the gospel. When people fall in love with Jesus, they develop a sense of joy, meaning, and excitement. Two, buying into a cause. As human beings, we long to be part of something larger than ourselves, to know that we are making an important difference in the world. Love and acceptance. A spirit of love, acceptance, and forgiveness permeates the whole church. You can see how these Topics are coming in like, we don't have that. We have a little bit of that. We don't quite have that. Oh, we got that. That's what enthusiasm is, not whose full potential as it could be. Four, a warm and joyous climate. An atmosphere of love and acceptance leads to a climate of warmth and joy, affection, and happiness. Five, God-exalting worship. Members of an enthusiastic congregation look forward to going to church because they know that God is going to show up and bless them and do great things among them. So that's the reason we do worship. We worship because we want to give praise and glory to God. My next and final message will be on worship. So be prepared for the next sermon on that topic. Six, the meaningful and relevant ministries. The church makes a concentrated and all-out intentional effort to meet the total needs of the believer and the seeker. Not just needs of certain groups of people, but the church as a whole. The worship experience can be meaningful and relevant for everybody. So you've got to have a happy balance between everything. You can't be in one extreme and you can't go to the other extreme. You've got to kind of be in the middle where you get a little bit of each where the worship experience can be complete. And also a sense of excellence. In the workplace, a lot of people emphasize the importance of excellence. Uh, Me, specifically, I work at Walmart. We look at excellence as the customer. We're here to serve the customer. What their needs are, we try to meet every day. We try to greet them every day. Make them know that they're important. That they're here and that we care about what their needs are. So in every workplace, a sense of excellence, you can get the sense of why it's important to have a sense of excellence in the workplace. Look at the military. 
They don't go for half good soldiers. They want excellent soldiers. And that's what they strive for. And that's what they train for. And same as a congregation in the, in the house of the Lord. We should strive for that excellence. Because we're serving an excellent God. Amen? Successful churches constantly seek to do everything possible to honor God and to inspire people. Members can feel good about their ministries because they are done well. And they can feel comfortable about inviting their friends and family, knowing that what the church does is something to be proud of. But of course, don't get me wrong, the Bible does say that proud is a cause of sin. So let's not get that proud, but let's give honor and praise to God and and be humbly proud in the service for him. I admit that excitement is difficult to manufacture because it has to do with the total quality of experience in church, but it is still an important factor in getting a church growing and then sustaining that growth. Although developing an enthusiastic congregation might be difficult, it is not impossible because the Bible tells us what? All things are possible, right? Through God, through Jesus Christ. All things. So building a bridge of enthusiasm, those are the factors. Now, how do we make these factors reality in the church? To have a growing, happy church that will bring glory to God and lead people into his kingdom, you must develop the seven features of an enthusiastic church culture in your own congregation, moving from principles to praxis. What steps can you take to begin establishing those seven characteristics within your church family? Here are ten possible ways to nurture them within your community of faith. It is a compilation of what we saw growing churches do to generate enthusiasm. Pray. Number one, pray. That's one of the best things that we can do as a congregation, is pray for the needs of the church. Pray and never give up praying. A wellspring of joy, love, faith, and expectation will develop as you pray. Pray that God will bring a great sense of excitement and victory to your life and to those of your people that will spill over into the public services. Two, embrace spirituality. The more spiritual the people are, the more excited they are about God and the church, and the more they are inclined to share their faith with others. So embrace our our spirituality. Promote faith-based optimism. I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to do that for you today. It's a faith-based optimism which we can look forward to, saying this is what we want to do. This is the direction God has called me to do. So promote a faith-based optimism. This sparks anticipation, it supports joy, and it overcomes trouble. Faith-based optimism is essential to creating excitement. And when leaders stand to lead, they must be positive. Such faith-based optimism should influence everything in the church, all the way from ministry to preaching, from witnessing to life. Whether a pastor, a Sabbath school teacher, or anyone else, you can make a difference. If you minister with enthusiasm, authenticity, which we covered last time I spoke, and relevancy. Put them into practice in preaching and teaching, in ministry and evangelism. Whoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Four, minister with enthusiasm. 
It lifts people's spirits and is catching. Be genuine, but be enthusiastic. You might say, well, that's not for me. I can't get enthusiastic about anything. Well, some people do have a problem with that. Then be as enthusiastic as you can be. Enthusiasm comes as a result of knowing how Jesus loves us and that his love drove him all the way to the cross of Calvary. That's where our motivation should come. What Jesus done for each one of us sitting here tonight, each one of us, that's what Jesus died for one of us. He would have come back and died for just any one of us. But it drove him all the way to the cross because he loves us so much. So should there be no reason why we shouldn't be enthusiastic about that? Because we have eternal life. Eternal life is something that cannot be taken from us unless we don't accept Christ. If we accept Christ, eternal eternity is promised to us. People get excited about sports. You get excited about the football game, the Packers or Bears or whoever you're with. I'm not a big sports fan, so I really don't care who wins. <laughs> but anyways, uh, people get excited about sports. They get excited about money. That's pretty good to get excited about when you get an extra money in your pocket. Or children, when you have a new child. Have you seen that commercial on TV? Or maybe it was on Funniest Home Videos. It just won something. Uh, there's the husband, they were having a dinner, a family dinner or reception of some sort, and they just got married. But, no, but he knew that the wife or the, the newlywed was, was pregnant. So the father had given her, not the, the husband, the husband had given her the test results that she was pregnant. And she got excited. Oh, I'm pregnant. And then there was an older lady at the end of the table, quite aged, probably in her 90s. So she was just kind of enjoying her food. She didn't know, you know, pay much attention to what was going on. And uh, she was all excited, the mother, and then, and then the dad said, yeah, you are. And the, and the old lady looks up like, what's going on down there? You know, what, what's so exciting? And then um, another person said, she's pregnant. Your daughter's pregnant. She, oh, yippee, 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 yippee. She got all excited because she was having a grandchild. She's, I'm so excited. I'm having a great grandchild now. Oh, yippee, yippee. So see, enthusiasm is there for everybody, even a 90-year-old or plus. So you can't say, I can't be enthusiastic after a certain age. So I'm just saying it's there. How about board meetings? Sometimes we have some heated board meetings. Does excitement get in there quite sometimes? Oh, yeah. We get excited, enthusiastic about some things if they're good. So enthusiasm is not dead. But enthusiasm for Jesus, you just got to transition that. Enthusiasm for Jesus. Set realistic goals of faith. A goal gives people something to get excited about, something to work toward and look forward to. Goals are important. Goals are very important. And if you have goals in the church, you've got to reach this by this certain date or we're going to get these books distributed by this certain time. You know, goals, and we reach those goals. Cole Porter set goals all the time. They've got to get so many sales. And then they reach for those goals. So it's good to have goals because goals lead us along the way. Even in our normal lifestyle, we have goals. 
In all of our communication, make it clear that saving souls and rebuilding lives is what the role of the church is all about. Whether from the pulpit and in the newsletters, in the phone calls and board meetings, constantly remind people that you are not just increasing numbers or erecting buildings. You are doing God's work. Living ministry is about leading people to Jesus and making an eternal difference in their lives. So spiritualize the work of the church. Celebrate victories and success. This is vital for building up excitement and godly enthusiasm. Also, it serves as a track record of what has been accomplished through the year. So when we can celebrate a victory or a success, like an example would be something like every New Year's, we should celebrate something instead of going out and drinking all this stuff that most of the world does, we should celebrate the baptism that took place the year before. Praise God, you know. Let's celebrate things like that and think about those things and make them important in the church. Eight, focus on people's needs and help them. I would venture that most of those attending your church would be impressed if they knew that it was actually helping people, whether it was by providing meals, giving them clothes, or assisting them through their personal problems. Here is where love, acceptance, and forgiveness are vital. Nine, plan outstanding programs. One way to encourage excitement is to bring a renowned guest speaker or a special music artist from time to time. It gives a sense that something special and worthwhile is happening. We just had a special musician come here a few weeks ago, did we not? Was that a blessing for everybody? Amen. It gets you kind of excited about coming and participating in a a worship service like that. So have them every now and then. And then 10, develop inspiring worship services. Ultimately, excitement emerges when people feel the love of God and His grace extending to them and through them to others. When the church is truly a safe and warm place, the result will be enthusiasm. Members will enjoy being there, will be eager to invite others, and will be willing to do more ministries. So when we're actively involved with the Lord's work throughout the week, we come to worship God and give Him the praise and honor that's due to Him, and give Him thanks for helping me say the right words to this individual this past week, Our lifestyle becomes a form of worship, but at the same time, we look forward to the Sabbath. We look forward to come together to give praise to God because of what He has done. I've noticed that when I was in Coalporter work for a full time, I enjoyed church a lot more than I did now. Because I know that I was working for the Lord throughout the entire week. He gave some good benefits because it was a blessing to go to people's houses, pray with them, sell them some stuff that really would help their spiritual needs and bring them to the Lord and help them understand the truth of the gospel. And I knew that, hey, you know, life is worth living when God works in your life throughout the week. Amen? And a lot of these we need extra work on, of course. But I want to show you something here that's quite interesting as we're starting ready to close out here pretty quick. This is a chart that I had put together in a, in a reference to what this book had put in. Now, one of the things that can cause enthusiasm is our, can cause a lack of enthusiasm, is our lack of commitment to God throughout the week, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago. When we don't spend time with God, Saturday is just another day, big deal. But when you spend time with God, Sunday, Monday, and all through the week, 
You're making some connection with God even through the week. Instead of waiting until Sabbath, oh, now I get to go worship. Now I make connection with God. That's not the way it should be. It should be on a daily basis. We're always on a daily basis with God. If you look at these statistics, they're quite impressive. Uh, I put them in the red, green, and yellow mode because we think of the stoplights, red, green, yellow. Well, if you're in the green, you're good to go. If you're in the yellow, you better be cautious. If you're in the red, you better be careful. (laughs) You better stop and, and consider where your faults are, what needs to be done, and how the changes can take place. But these are devotional practices. This is a 60% were more than 45 years old, 22% were 65 or older, and only about 9% were under the age of 25 with these statistics. And before I go into a little bit of detail here, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says here in Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Obviously, it's talking about the word of God. We look at the statistics on the board here, on the the screen. It says Ellen White Books. Weekly, it was about a little over 20%. That's, if, that's when you only do it once a week. If you're doing it on a daily basis, that little percentage was a little bit lower. And if you never uh, read an Ellen White book, the percentage was very high. And then at the very bottom is personal prayer time. You see that's the strongest point on the chart. Yellow is about 20%. And then you have uh, about 60-some percent after that, about 80% almost. With the uh, a daily basis, we spend time in personal prayer to God on a daily basis. And then a very small percentage don't spend time in prayer at all. But these are the statistics that was gathered together from these folks. And they're quite impressive, I thought, because uh, if you look at them, it kind of sets the temperature of where our spiritual status is. If you're seriously in the red zone, God needs to do some serious work with you, and you need to let him do so. But if you're in the green zone, that's good. Try to give some encouragement to those who may be in the red zone that you're aware of. If you're in the yellow zone once a week, God says, you can probably use some, a little bit of improvement, spending some more time with me. But you're still spending time with me. So spending time with God is a very important factor in understanding what it takes to be enthusiastic, what it takes to make God a reality in our lives. I'm running out of time here. i got one more thing to look at real quick. Oikos evangelism. I like to call this the share him factor. How many here are in share him? I know there's a couple. How many have done share him programs before in the past? Just like I call the share him factor. Another word for it is oikos evangelism. How many have heard oikos evangelism before? I think there was a three-ring binder that was out at the ABC one time that had oikos evangelism and had methods and that type of thing. But this is a way in which we can relate um, and be actively involved with the needs of others, actively involved with God and working with God throughout the year. This we, if we take five people a year, whoever they may be, your sister, your brother, whoever it may be, friend, co-worker, take five people, put them on a list, pray for them every day, 
Minister to their needs as the needs arise. Share your values with them. That time will come. It may not happen right away. Give your testimony. How many know what a testimony is? I think we all should know what a testimony is. Is how you met the Lord Jesus Christ. How he made a difference in your life. That's your personal testimony. Nobody else has a personal testimony like your own. It's unique. It's specific. It's God-ordained in respect because that's the way God has worked in your special life. Introduce them to Jesus when the time comes because through a testimony, you might have that opportunity. This is how I met Jesus. Invite them at an appropriate time to anything at the church, whether it's a cooking class, an evangelistic series, Sabbath school class, a worship service, a special Easter or Christmas program, anything like that. Those times come, like, a, like, a, like an event we had a few weeks ago with a special singer who came here. You know, invite them to something like that. And within a year's time, you know, we should have these in place and think about it and how it can work the church and improve the church environment. Study the Bible with them. Very important. And then baptize them if they're not already baptized the biblical way. And then after they're baptized, the nurture is all through the time, but you've got to have special nurture to them after the baptism's done because they're new to the Lord and the devil's going to come down on them hard, real hard, because they have given their life to Christ. And the devil says, no, I had this person, I want him back. And you can do everything possible to destroy that life again and bring them back into the old patterns of the old ways of lifestyles. So nurture them through that process. Um, and then at the final thing, teach to reach. You teach them to reach others. So they're also involved with cooking classes or revelation seminars or evangelistic series or share him programs or anything like that. And when this is working, this is known as oikos evangelism. And it's natural. It's a natural way of doing it. If you think about the disciples, when Jesus called them out, Weren't they related? Some of them were related, weren't they? They said, hey, the Messiah's come. Come and see who he is. Because they were a close friend. How about the, the demoniac at the island of Gadara or something like that? When he came to the island, he was crazy and mad, this man, and they cast the demons out into the pigs and they went into the sea. Remember that story? That was Oikos Evangelism because he wanted to go with them. That guy who was saved, the demoniac, who was healed by Christ, wanted to go with Christ and be a disciple. But he said, nope. You have a mission right here. But Christ did come back. When Christ came back, guess what happened? A lot of the island accepted Christ at that time. When his first encounter was a very bad encounter because they lost all their livestock. But after this man was healed and he had time to work within the island and the people, they come to realize that God is real. And it was just a natural thing for Jesus to come back at that time and then people were accepting him then because they understood who he really was. So Jesus had a in a way, we like to call it a sabbatical away from that island for a while. And you know that many times in the Bible. So teach to reach others. And when you go through this process, you'll be surprised how much of a blessing you can get on Sabbath, but also throughout the week. And in conclusion now, it's time for you to participate. Now, I've been talking about a few things. Now it's time for you to participate before we have our closing song. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to list some things here. There's, what, I think, seven things. And I want you to stand up if that was something that brought you to the Lord or if that was something that brought you to the church here today. Okay? And you sit as long as you want because at the end everybody will stand up anyways. 
But I would just like to see this work out because we've got to sing anyways, the closing song. How many were brought into the church by a special need? Would you please stand? We're all going to stand, so don't be ashamed. Don't be bashful to stand up. How many were brought into the church by a special need? Amen. How about have been brought into the church because you just walked into the church? One day you decided to come to the church and you walked in. Please stand up. If you just walked into the Seventh-day Adventist church one day and said, Hey, I'm going to check this church out. There you go. Thank you. Amen. How many were brought into the church by a pastor? You met the pastor and he says, well, what pastor church are you from? Oh, I'm from the Seventh-day Adventist church. Oh, really? What's that about? How many have been brought into the church by a pastor who made first contact with you? Amen. How about if somebody had visited you and invited you to come to church today? How many have come into the church today because of that? How many are here because they were invited to come today and wanted to check it out? Amen. How about the Sabbath school? How many came into church today because of the Sabbath school? Or oh, I got a Sabbath school class I got to teach or something like that. Or I have a class that I got to, I got to be the Sabbath school superintendent. How many came into the church today because of a Sabbath school issue that you had to participate in? Or that you were invited to a Sabbath school and were a member of that Sabbath school? Please stand. How many were brought into the church or came to church today because of the evangelistic series? An evangelistic series, when a real-life evangelist came up and gave a real-life presentation, said, hey, this is the way it is, and got all enthusiastic, okay? How many were brought in by that method? And then finally, which everyone else would probably stand up, friends and relatives. How many been brought into the church or heard about the church or raised in a church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, by friends or relatives? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time we had to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for the message you have given us today. And we pray, Lord, that each of us here would be moved by the Spirit of God, to be enthusiastic about the message, be enthusiastic about the work that needs to be done, and that we would come and stand for the work of Jesus that needs to be completed here before the soon return, which is very, very soon. And we would ask that your Holy Spirit would bless each and every individual here today as they are involved with ministries, as they get involved with ministries, as they take action, we know that we no longer have a pastor leading us, and we would pray that our congregation would stand and be committed in an act of laity. And we pray for this in the precious blood of Jesus and for his sake and for the glory of the kingdom of God to come. Amen.